When I was about 17 years old, um, I started having a lot of pain in my left leg, and the pain would never go away. And eventually, through trial and error, we found out uh, through the doctor that I had a little benign, a uh, little tumor in uh, my bone, in my leg. And so I had to have surgery, and I actually had to have like, you know, two or three inches taken out of my bone. They just took that part of my bone out. Uh, and it's crazy. Your bones will, I mean, it, it grows back over time. But I had a whole summer where I could not walk. I couldn't put weight on my leg or else the rest of my bone would shatter because they had taken out two or three inches of it. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a crazy story. It's kind of funny and awesome all at the same time. I was 17 years old. I couldn't do anything all summer. And I was up late one night and uh, I happened to be flipping through the channels and I stopped uh, on TBN and, you know, the televangelist Benny Hinn, his, he was on there, you know, lift your hand, saints, you know how he talks and all that. So anyways, I'm watching Benny Hinn and I legit, like, I have like a moment with the Lord. Like, I'm like, oh man, it's like, you know, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night. Here I am. I'm like, man, I feel, I feel the Lord right now. What's going on? Um, and so it flashes back to Benny Hinn after it was one of his services. And he was like, starts praying for people. He's like, I want to pray for you that are at home watching. And, uh, he said, he said, there's a young man watching. And I was like, I'm a young man. He's like your left leg. And I was like, Holy cow, my left leg. It means he said, you felt the Lord's presence while you were watching. God is touching your left leg. And I was like, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm healed. You know, I ran downstairs. It was in the middle of the night and uh, I like bust through my parents' door. They were asleep. I'm like, I've been healed. I've been healed. Uh, and, and they didn't know what was going on. They'd been asleep. And they were like, what are you doing? Get on your crutches. You're not supposed to be putting any weight on that. And I was like, no, I've been healed. I don't, I don't think they really believe me, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, it was just, that, that's a, a crazy story. But uh, it, was, it was a summer where I had to learn how to walk again. I couldn't just sit there or I couldn't move around. I had to literally just sit or lay. And it, after t a certain amount of time, then I could walk again. I could put weight on my leg and start to walk. And learning how to walk, that's a big thing in your life. Like I have kids, that's a big moment in our kid's life. It's like when they learn how to walk. And the thing about learning to walk is none of us are born knowing how to, how to walk. We all have to learn to walk. And you know, the same is true in our relationship with the Lord. Like when you start following Jesus, Jesus said, if you're going to follow him, then you have to be born again. So we're infants in Christ when we first start following Christ. And we actually have to learn how to walk out the calling that we have in Christ. You have to learn how to walk to follow Christ. And I have to learn how to walk. And we as a church have to learn how to walk to follow Christ. And we're in this series in Ephesians chapter four, and we have been learning so much about what, who we are and our identity in Christ and what we are as a church. And now Paul says, hey, it's time to start walking. And this is how he starts in chapter four. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner 
worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul tells us it's time to walk. But here's the thing. You have to follow the progression in Ephesians. Because if you've been following along with this, first Paul talks about sitting. He talks about being seated in heavenly places with Christ. Now he talks about walking. And then in a few weeks, we're going to talk about standing. We stand against the enemy. We stand against the devil. So there's this progression. You sit, you walk, you stand. I want to stop for a second, and I just want to remind you, I want to bring back to your memory some of the things we've been talking about when it comes to our calling. We have to walk out our calling, but before you can walk it out, you got to sit in it for a little while. You got to marinate in it. You got to realize who you are and what you've been called to in Christ. And so who does Paul, what does he say of us? Who are we in Christ? Ten times in Ephesians. In Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are the body of Christ and that Jesus is the head. So Jesus is the authority. He's our leader. He's the chief. He's the king. We're seated with him in heavenly places. So Paul says we exist in two realms at once. How, how crazy is that? We exist in the heavenly realm where Jesus is and he's seated and we're seated with him. But we also exist in this earthly realm. So Jesus is in the heavenlies. We're connected with Jesus. And Jesus is channeling heaven through us to this world. I like what Michael Bird says. He says, we are the visible gathering of the faithful for the representation of Christ's presence in the world. That's so important. We're the visible representation. We are what the world sees when it comes to Christ. And this is what Paul says about us. It says that in 123, he says, we are his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Christ fills us, the church. We participate and partner with Christ and he is filling all things in the heavens and the earth through us. Ephesians 3.10, it says, so that the church Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul, he says that God's wisdom is, he says it's manifold. The word used for manifold, it actually means like a a variety of colors or a beautifully complex wisdom. God has beautifully complex wisdom. And you know what? The world we live in right now is terribly complex in every way. We're dealing with problems. We're scratching our heads. We don't know what to do. Here's the good news. God's wisdom is complex. God's wisdom is the answer the world needs for its problems. And God's wisdom, he says, is displayed through his church. Our calling is we're the light of the world, but not only just the light of the world. Paul says we're the light of the cosmos. God is displaying his wisdom through us to powers in the heavenly places. We have a cosmic calling. Ephesians 3.21, he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The church is the medium. It's the vehicle. It's our purpose is to bring glory to God for all that he's done, all that he's going to do. We exist for the glory of God. We give him glory. He fills us with his glory, and we take that glory into the world. This is who we are. 
listen, you might think, well, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. Hey, man, that's, that sounds amazing and all, but I'm just a guy who works at CVS down the street, and I'm just trying to figure out how I'm going to make it through this week while my kids are doing virtual school, and you're talking about being the light of the whole cosmos. I mean, come on, man, this is kind of crazy. How do, how do, what does this mean? How do we practically live this out? How can we f- bring glory to God and all the earth? How can we display God's wisdom in all the earth? How can we be the presence of Jesus in the earth? How do we walk it out? And that's what this chapter is all about. Paul gives us three things that we are to walk in, three things we are to do to practically walk out our calling. And these are the three things. We're gonna walk in unity, we're gonna walk in maturity, and we're gonna walk impurity. Those are the three things I want you to get today from the text. We walk in unity, we walk in maturity, and we walk in purity. When we do these things, we will live out the glory of God in the earth. So first, we need to walk in unity. Ephesians 4.2, it says, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If we're going to be the glory of God in the earth, then we first have to be unified. Have you ever scattered an anthill? You know, thousands of thousands of ants just start going everywhere. It's, it's crazy. It's chaos. Honestly, I feel like that's what the church looks like and feels like in a lot of ways. It kind of feels like the devil has us all stirred up. We're in a frenzy. We're all scattered. Everyone's running around in a thousand different directions. You know, it's incredible what ants can do when they're together, when there's peace when there's not chaos, what they can build when they're all of one mind and they're working together. I mean, if you've seen an anthill, it's crazy inside the complex tunnels and the way they work together. It's amazing. But when someone comes along and knocks over that anthill and stirs up chaos, then it's just, it's pandemonium. And I feel like that's what the devil is trying to do and has done to the church and to us. It's we've lost that bond of peace and unity and we're just a bunch of scattered individuals. I wanna tell you something today. Following Jesus was never meant to be a bunch of individuals running around doing their own thing. Nope, when you come into the body of Christ, when you're baptized, what you're saying is I'm coming into a community It's a corporate thing. It's not an individual thing. It's a corporate thing. And you have a responsibility to the body of Christ. You have something God has called you to do to serve the body of Christ. We are following Jesus together. You know, in America, we value individuality. We value our personal rights And when you come to Christ, you're not going to lose the distinctions that make you who you are. You know, when I talk about unity, I'm not talking about conformity or uniformity. 
the distinctions of your nationality, your occupation, your unique giftings, your personality, your gender, all those things are beautiful and unique. And But what God wants to do is he wants to take that beautiful, unique thing about you and he wants to, to join it together with the other brothers and sisters that are in Christ, come up underneath the headship of Christ and let's come together and do something beautiful, build something beautiful. Have you ever been to a symphony? I love symphonies. You know, when you get to the symphony, you, you take a seat there and before it starts, it's always just a bunch of noise. You got all the unique instruments, but they're all just kind of doing their own thing. It's like this, it's, it's just this kind of weird sound of everybody kind of doing their own thing. You got the trumpet player over there doing his own thing. You got the trombone player, he's sliding around a scale. You got the bassoon player bassooning, whatever a bassoon player does. You got the triangle guy. You know, if I was going to be in a symphony, I'd probably be the triangle guy. You know, he gets his one moment where he's like, ding, and that's it. I mean, that's his thing for the whole symphony. But everyone's just doing their own thing, and it's just noise. But then something happens. A conductor comes out. He's calling the shots. He calls everyone to attention. He sets the tempo. He directs all the unique instruments to play their part. And it turns out to be something beautiful. I want to tell you today, Jesus is a musical genius and a great conductor. He wrote the greatest symphony of all time. We are the musicians and we are to be captivated by his composition. And we are to perform it to a world that is full of noise and chaos. You see, when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom and it will fully come when all of creation finally joins in the song that he has written. But this is the deal. It has to be Jesus's music. It must be Jesus's music that we are all playing and not our own. We can't just all be running around doing our own thing, living our own lives as uh, individuals who aren't connected, but no, we come together. We bring our individuality under the headship of Christ and we play his music together for the earth. I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, it's very hard. I mean, if you look at what Paul said, unity only comes through one way. You gotta have a lot of humility. You gotta be gentle. We gotta be patient with one another. Paul said, you gotta put up with one another. Listen, there's some things you have to put up with when it comes to the body of Christ. Church is messy, man. Church can get really ugly. And sometimes we let the ugliness of church, you know, we let our ideal of what we think church should be, we let it stop us from really just joining in what Jesus is doing through his church. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. He says, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. What is he saying? He's saying, when we love the idea of church more than we love the church itself, that's when we get messed up because we all have these intentions. We want the church to be perfect. We want everything just to be in, in, in perfect place and no one gets hurt and everything's going great. And I want that too. I long for that. But I can tell you, it ain't going to be like that. Why? Because it's made up of a bunch of broken individuals and we do broken things and we make mistakes and we do things we shouldn't. We say things we shouldn't. 
That's why we have to live a life of forgiveness every day from the bottom of our hearts for one another. And we have to put our differences aside and realize there's something greater than us. And it's our king and it's the music. He's our conductor. And we need to just get in line and play the music that he's put out in front of us. Unity. If we're going to bring the glory of God to the earth, first, it will be with unity. Number two, maturity. Maturity. We walk in unity. But number two, we walk in maturity. God wants us to grow up. It's time to mature. <laughs> Immaturity is killing the body of Christ. I don't care if you've been saved for 40 years. I don't care if you've been saved for decades. That doesn't mean you are mature. It doesn't mean you have truly grown up. We have to intentionally grow in Christ but how do we grow? This is how God has set it up. We'll continue to read verse seven. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. How do we grow? It's right here in verses 11 and 12. Paul spells it out. The growth that takes place in the church. This is how it happens. There's certain functions. People have certain functions within the church. And he, he names them. He said, there's people that are apostles. What is an apostle? It's a governing authority. It's a governing ministry. Think Paul was an apostle. James is an apostle. John's apostle. These are people, they establish works. They establish ministries and regions, and then they oversee those ministries. They're pioneers, they're entrepreneurial. God gives us people that are, they, they're a governing ministry. They're like apostles. They start things, they oversee things. But then he also gives us prophets. Well, what does a prophet do? If an apostle governs, a prophet guides. He gives us people that can hear from God and they're, they're hearing the things of God and they're pointing us in the right direction. They're guiding us. A, a prophet hears from the Lord and it's not about predicting the future as much as it is pointing us in the right direction, getting us on the right path. That's what a prophet does. Then there's evangelists, apostles govern, prophets guide, evangelists, they gather. They bring people into the kingdom of God. The people like Billy Graham, right? gathered people, bringing them into the kingdom of God. Then there's, then there's pastors or shepherds. And what do they do? They guard pastors. And God, God gives us pastors who take care of us. You know, there's people that function within the body of Christ. They're going to make sure you're loved on. They're going to make sure you're cared for. They're going to make sure you're prayed for. They guard. And then lastly, he says they give teachers. What do teachers do? They ground people in the truth. They open up the scriptures so we can understand. So God gives us, he gave the church these gifts, people that govern and guide and gather and ground and guard. But here's the deal. They are not the ones 
those that function in those gifts, they are not really the ones doing the main work of ministry. Look what Paul says. These equip the saints. They equip the body. They equip the people. And the saints do the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ. The saints are the ones that really do the work in the building up of the church. Therefore, it's the saints that do the greatest service. You see, in the American church, maybe we've had this backwards. Maybe we've all gathered in a room to watch a few people kind of do their thing, and then we call that church. But really what Paul is saying, the teachers and the preachers and the apostles, these people that function this way, really what they're supposed to do is equip the saints so the saints can then and go do the work of ministry. What is Paul saying? Really, if the church is going to grow, here's how it's going to grow. It's not by just a select few that do all the work or by a select few that are the ones that are high and lifted up, but it's really when everybody finds their spot, everybody finds their place, everybody finds their piece of music that they're supposed to be playing and they pick up their instrument and they start playing. Because when we do that, when the saints are the equipped and then what begins to happen is we start having this growth. And what areas do we grow in? So Paul continues in verse 13. He tells us what the growth looks like, the goal of this growth He says, number one, until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The first goal that Paul tells us in growth is that we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What is he saying? He's saying, you are going to grow when you have understanding about Jesus and who he is. You understand, uh, you have an understanding of Christ and his work and his application, how it's supposed to come in your life. The first goal of growth is understanding. You got to grow in understanding. I have to grow in understanding. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you saw something new about Jesus and what he's done for you and who he is? When was the last time you were amazed at something about Jesus? because we should be growing and ever-growing knowledge and understanding. That's the first thing. The second thing is, he says, we got to mature, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So the second area of growth is, Paul says, you got to become a mature person. He uses the word here, actually, a mature male, uh, a word that refers to an adult human male. And he says, you got to quit being infants in the way you think. And what does an infant do? An infant has no discernment. An infant can't discern between what's right and what's wrong. I have an infant, okay? I have, (laughs) and, and let me tell you something about an infant, is that anything they find on the floor, you know the first place it's going? In their mouth. It doesn't matter what it is. It could, be a, it could be something good like a donut or it could be something bad like a piece of trash or a quarter or whatever. They, they, just the first thing infants do is they pick something up and it's going straight in their mouth for some reason. They have no discernment until they mature, until they grow up and then they realize there's certain things that I take in, but there's certain things that don't 
belong. And you see, how do you know when you're mature? It's when you can start to understand. There are some things that I can take in and there are some things that don't need to come in. When you can discern good and evil and what really should be coming in your eye gate and your ear gate and what you should be consuming. And when we mature, we won't be tossed about by every new doctrine or every new wind or every new teacher that comes along. We have to mature in the things of God so that we have a mature walk in Christ. This is the will of God for his church. So we're growing in understanding. We're going in discernment. In verse 15, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Here is the third goal for every believer is that we are, as a body, we are to reach the full stature of Christ. Think about that. I mean, that seems like a pretty big goal. It says we're to grow into, our body needs to grow to the size to match the head, which is Jesus. Uh, have you ever seen a bobblehead before, like a bobblehead toy? You know, this is the picture I get when I see this. A, a bobblehead toy, it has an oversized head, right? And a small body. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of what the body of Christ looks like. We have Christ, who's the head of all things, amazing, huge vastness. And then we have us, the body. And a lot of times we are not measuring up to the head. We are not growing into the head. And the goal is for us to be fully grown to match the head himself. And when this happens, and I believe this, you know, <laughs> I believe this is what God is doing in us. This is what God is working in us. And it probably won't fully happen until we all get to heaven. Amen. Until Jesus comes back. But this is the goal nonetheless. And, and if it was impossible, why would Paul believe it's attainable? So we've got to believe that we can grow up into the head of Christ. How do you know when you're growing? How do you know when you're really growing in Christ? I can tell you, when you start serving. When you get to the point where you say, you know what, I'm not just here to consume. I'm not just here to get me and mine, but I'm also here to contribute. What can I contribute? You know, Paul said, every one of us has a grace. We have something to give. And the way the body grows is we receive nourishment from Christ and we receive nourishment from each other. And that is how the body grows. You know, this week I got an email from a precious lady in our church and she served this weekend over in Sea uh, Kids. And she served and she actually was watching my infant. She was watching Phoebe and she just, you know, she told me what a joy it was to be with Phoebe and to work with her this past Sunday. And it really ministered to me, it touched me because I was thinking about her service for the Lord. It could go overlooked. It could be, you know, people could not notice that. I mean, I could see her wanting why, to be in the service where everyone else is, but no, she was over serving my child. She was seeing after my child. And here's the interesting thing about that. We had such a great service this past Sunday. I mean, the presence of the Lord was so strong in our midst and I was here and praying with people. My wife was in here praying with people, but can I, and people were getting touched by the Lord. I, the glory of God was present. I mean, we're getting testimonies from people that were 
you know, they didn't want to go on living anymore. And the Lord lifted that off of them last Sunday and God touched them in a powerful way. But can I tell you, if my wife or I had to be caught up with making sure Phoebe is okay, then some of that might not have happened last Sunday. But because this lady served, because she served and she was watching our child and other people's children, there were people that got to be touched by the presence of the Lord. What is that? That's when you've decided I'm not just a consumer, but I'm going to contribute. And there's so many ways to serve in the body of Christ, so many different ways. And I just want to challenge you, be someone who serves. Be someone who serves other people. And that's when you know you're really starting to grow and it's not just about you, but it's about others. So we walk in unity. We walk in maturity. And here's the last one. We walk in purity. Impurity. This one is where Paul begins to challenge us. If you want something practical, how can we live out the glory of God on the earth? Well, here it is. You walk a pure life before God. You, you start to act out who you really are. Paul tells the Ephesians, you can't act like you used to because you're not the same person you used to be. Everything has changed in your life now because of Christ and it's time to start acting like it. Verse 17, he says, now this I say, and testify that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt in his deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying, it's time to start acting who, like who you are. You see, you and I need to become what we already are. What are we? We are holy and pure and righteous in Christ. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we stand before him holy today. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of who he is. He's holy and he has made us holy and now he calls us to be holy. You know, there's a story about Princess Margaret, uh, which is the sister of the current queen, Queen Elizabeth. Princess Margaret passed away a few years ago. But when Princess Margaret was a little girl, she was sitting next to her mother on a platform and they were in front of a huge crowd. I mean, and she was about to get up for the first time and speak in front of a big crowd on a microphone and really addressing the nation as a, as a young girl, you know? So she's super nervous, like, oh goodness. You know, I just only imagine the anxiety she might have. And it's recorded that as she got up, it was, as it was time for her to take the mic and to speak, that her mother leaned over to her before she spoke. And she said, Margaret, you are a princess. Walk like a princess. Talk like a princess. She was saying, you are royalty. Know who you are. 
and now act out of that. And can I tell you today, if you know Jesus, you are royalty. You're a royal priesthood. You're holy. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. And it's time to walk like royalty and talk like royalty. I, you can say, I'm a child of God. I have authority. I have victory. I have joy. I might not feel like it today, but this is my identity. This is who I am. And I, I am becoming what I already am. That's what it is to live in the kingdom. You need to become what you already are. You need to act like Jesus because you belong to him. We'll get to it next week, but you know who you are? You're the bride of Christ. That's what Ephesians tells us in chapter five. You're his bride. And, you know, I remember when my wife and I got married and uh, <laughs> I remember the, the first look, right? There's the whole thing where there's a first look. Well, we did a private first look. We didn't do it in front of everybody and that came to the church that day. But I just remember the first look after uh, you know, she'd gotten ready and got her dress on and got all her makeup done. And we had that reveal, right? Where I saw her for the first time. And I'll go ahead and say it. Y'all, I cried like a baby. I boohooed. And uh, this is the only time I'll admit that. If anybody ever asks me again, I'll say, you're lying. I didn't do that. But no, when I saw her, I cried. I'm serious. She was so beautiful. I was like, oh my goodness. Like how in the world? Did I get someone so, how did I trick this girl into marrying me? She's so beautiful. How did I do that? I mean, just, she was adorned. She was beautiful in the dress and she had prepared herself for me. And you know, I think that's, what's the job of a bride on the wedding day? The job of the bride on the wedding day is to beautify herself. To, to No bride is gonna show up to the wedding with stains all over her dress. Her hair isn't dried yet. You know, her makeup's not on. No bride is gonna show up to her wedding day like that. No, she's going to prepare herself and beautify herself. And I'm telling you, we are the bride of Christ. And it's time for us to prepare ourselves for that day when Jesus will return and come and get us. We are to prepare in the beauty of holiness. We need to act like and live like we are his bride and we're taking on his name. And that means if we take on his name, we represent him. And I tell you what, I do not wanna misrepresent Christ to the world. How grievous would that be? So Paul, he gives us further instructions here. As we're closing, I'm gonna read these last few lines. This is what it looks like when you're living in purity and holiness. This is what Paul says. He says, therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with everyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths or on your social media, but only what is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And this one right here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 
by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How do we live out this glorious calling? How can we be the presence of God and Jesus on the earth? We do it by walking together in unity, giving up our individuality and coming together in unity. We grow by serving one another. We mature in Christ. And lastly, we walk in purity. I do not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes people see how much they can get away with when it comes to serving the Lord. And I think that's just the complete wrong attitude because what we don't realize is that the Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved. And notice most of what Paul is talking about here when it comes to how we ought to walk and live, a lot of it comes back to the things we say. It talks a lot about our speech and how we talk to one another and talk about one another. And how are you, you know, what's your speech like? Are you grieving the Holy Spirit by, with what you say about his body, the church, about members of the church? We are to walk in a forgiving way. And I'll close with this statement today by Clint Arnold. This is how God feels about the church and what we're called to be. It says, the church is at the heart of the mystery, a new creation by God and is so valued by the father that he offered the blood of his son to create it. As the church maintains its vital unity with Christ, becomes more like the father, in holiness, defeats the influence of the power of the supernatural enemies and fills the world with the good news of the Son, resulting in its numerical growth and offers continual praise to the Father. The church then brings God glory. This is who we are. This is what we're called to be. It's time to act like it. It's time to live like it. It's time to be the church. Father, I pray for those watching today. God, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. We have a high calling in you, in Christ. You have called us to bring the glory of God to this earth. Lord, help us to walk it out. Help us to be unified. Help us to, to get behind the cause of Christ and the mission of Christ and to pursue that in the earth. Help us, Lord God, to grow and to mature in our understanding and our knowledge of you, God, and serving one another. And Lord, let us be pure in our speech and our conduct and the way we act because that is who you've called us to be. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Church, we love you so much. We're praying for many of you. I know you send in prayer requests. Hey, we got a team of people that wanna pray for you. I think you should email us, let us know, send us your prayer requests. We have a whole team of people that wanna pray and just believe God for blessings and, 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 and for Him to move in your life. So, hey, you can join us every week, nine o'clock, 11 live or 10 right here on Virtual Church. We'll see you soon.